Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Surprise, surprise, surprise. It is Bleacher Blums, and we felt the urge over the weekend to get a podcast out because so much had been happening. Uh, The Andrew Luck situation, uh, a lot of people wanted to know our take on the Justin Verlander situation. So a little bit more of an abbreviated podcast just to try and get some of that information out there and continue to please your ears with the sweet voices of David Tuttle and Jeff Blum here on Bleacher Blums. We appreciate everybody who has been listening, subscribed. The feedback has been great. Oh, yeah. We've even sold a couple T-shirts. It's been kind of cool. I know that a lot of people are asking where you can go get those. And if you uh, didn't get all the way through that podcast last time, it is Crush City Tees, T-E-E-S, dot com to get that T-shirt that says Bleacher Blums on it. We've got three colors, navy blue, gray, and orange. People have been buying them, man. I've actually been pretty impressed with the the activity that people have shown in getting out there and buying those T-shirts. So we greatly appreciate that. We appreciate the representation. And that's kind of why Tuttle suggested that we add that S to Bleacher Blums, because it's not just us. It's all of you who go out there and listen to us, download, subscribe. And now, those of you who are going out and getting actual merch that we have. So, we, the initial t-shirts have been going good. I know that we're going to probably try and get some t- uh, t-shirts. We already have t-shirts, dum-dum. Uh, hats. We, we want to go out there and try and get some hats, but it's early. We've got a couple of hot topics. I want to see how Tuttle's doing. How you doing, David? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I, I love that you called yourself a dum-dum. I think that's indicative of having children around the house. You just call yourself a dum-dum. Um, yeah, awesome. And and to, to just kind of echo your sentiment, I, I mean, we're super excited about having the t-shirt out. We're looking to get some hats out. Eventually, I mean, we love Crush City Tees. And they're going to be doing a lot of production behind the scenes, but we're super excited to get our own website out. So we're working on that behind the scenes. We got a lot of stuff. I mean, we just started this as a hobby and for fun, and we really appreciate all the followers and listeners. And uh, it's kind of taken off and it, it makes us enjoy it even more. So I'm doing great. Good to be with you as always. No, that's actually a great point. A lot of this, yes, we enjoy doing this and it's a lot of fun for us, but we enjoy the interaction. Uh, Tuttle does a great job with Tuttle Quote of the Day. And of course, you can reach him on Twitter at Real David Tuttle. And myself, you can reach me on Twitter at Blummer27. So feel free to reach out and, and get to us. But we're going to start off real quick with the Andrew Luck situation because there's been a lot of talk and absolutely bonkers viewpoints that I've seen here in recent days. And I know that Tuttle, you know, being a retired player, myself being a retired player, and having been inside the workings of a professional sport, not quite to the extent, obviously, that uh, Andrew Luck and most football players go through because each sport, whether it be NBA, NHL, you know, women's basketball, NFL, Major League Baseball, there are a lot of sacrifices that a lot of people don't necessarily understand that these guys are going through. You're, You're sacrificing your body, number one. You're sacrificing yourself, which I mean internally, whether it be spiritually, men- mentally, uh, whatever goes on internally to get these these athletes on the field and to perform at such a high level on the highest level of uh, their particular sport. And then you've got the the family sacrifices. Not everybody in the, in the league has a family, but most of these guys have significant others, whether it be immediate family, wives, kids, things of that nature, 
But, the, you know, there are external forces on this. Just because they call it a sport doesn't mean it's a job very similar to what everybody else at home is going through. And a lot of you at home, maybe some days bring your, your home life to your professional life. And it's just a nature of being a human being that you're going to let these things affect you. But this is a pretty extreme circumstance with Andrew Luck, with all of the injuries he's gone through. Um, I know this from the last two years of my career. It was harder for me to get on the field than it was to to get off or, or to stay on the field. But I was fortunate in the situation where I already had 12 years in. So the last two years of my career were a fight to stay on the field, and that's where I got frustrated. But I was at the end of my career. I knew I was done, and my body was telling me that I'm done. And it may have been a similar situation with Andrew Luck. But if all of you who have seen the Andrew Luck press conference I'm just going to let you know now that when I saw the press conference, I saw a broken man, which is understandable. You know, he gave his life, he gave his spirit, he gave his body to this game, and it continued to break down and he was unable to get back on the field. But when he was done, and I want to get Tuttle's uh, take on this, as far as your initial thought, my initial thought when he walked out of that press conference was, and nobody was near me, unfortunately, I was watching it by myself, but my initial thought was, oh man. I hope to God he's not addicted to painkillers and, and drugs of some kind that were helping him get back on the field. Tuttle, what was your take when you saw that press conference? You know, I, I, I some similar thoughts, not so much the painkillers, but definitely a broken man. I mean, you could see how difficult it was for him. He talked about his family a little bit and being married. And I, I just think for me, my heart goes out to him because he's so young. You, you mentioned, you know, playing 14 years, your last two years, you were trying to stay on the field. For me, from an athletic perspective, my the most difficult thing, I believe, was getting yourself mentally prepared every day, you know, consistently year after year after year. I mean, minor leagues or not, you know, playing 10 years of professional baseball and playing, you know, 17 years of professional baseball as you did, or 18, whatever it was. For me, it wasn't the physical, like you can get in the weight room and you can run, you can do all that stuff and, you know, shagging BP and the bunting and all that. I mean, it was kind of fun. That was the kind of the activity part, but to be mentally ready to get on the bump every night or to get in the batter's box every night and perform at your best, it takes a lot of mental fortitude, like stay with it, stay with it, stay after it. And I can imagine not just the scrutiny, because I think Andrew Luck probably better than anybody uh, was prepared for that. You know, his dad was a quarterback and his dad's an uh, athletic director at uh, big time college. He was prepared for it. But I think the uh, you can imagine, like you said, coming into pinch hit, you know, late in the game and being ready is great. But to run a whole offense and to be the face of a franchise and to be the quarterback that's responsible for that. So not only are you trying to get yourself mentally ready, physically ready, but now you still kind of have the weight of the franchise and, and all of Indianapolis on your shoulders. And I think fighting those injuries by yourself, um, kind of in the dark confines of the training room, would be really challenging. And then just pile it on. As you said, now they've put the laundry list of injuries he's had. And I can, I guess, ultimately, it just comes out to being compassionate to the guy. There was a lot of uh, pushback and blowback and the fans were booing him. And, you know, then you get the guy said, well, I'm going to come boo you at work, you know, in your blue collar job while you're doing this. Well, that's not really the point. I mean, all of these things are different, but I, I can, you could see, as you said, a broken man, and I don't know if that was, you know, had to do with painkillers getting back on the field or the, the weight of the world or the weight of Indianapolis. But it's uh, it was kind of shocking to see a 29 year old 
looking like a 40 to 45 year old man. And something we need to be reminded of too, is the NFL is such an extreme sport in the sense of every play is pretty much a car wreck as far as the way they describe some of the hits that they're taking and the pounding. And we know for sure, you know, Andrew Luck was one of those guys that didn't really shy away from the contact. He was one of those unique old school type quarterbacks who really put himself in harm's way to be able to complete a play. And uh, obviously when he's mic'd up, a lot of the banter is very good and very fun with him where he's, you know, congratulating guys on absolutely driving him into the turf. So he was pretty a unique individual in that sense. But at the same time, I mean, everything that we're hearing, I, I almost, you know, shouldn't, Shouldn't we applaud the fact that a professional athlete making zillions of dollars actually chose to, to, you know, protect his way of life? Because in this day and age, when we hear so many horror stories in the NFL about CTE and some of the injuries and, you know, you meet uh, NFL retired NFL players and their hands are gnarled or they, you know, they got a little limp in their, in their walk, you know, Shouldn't we applaud the fact that he understood that his body was at a point, a breaking point where he probably wouldn't be the same after this year or maybe the same after the next play? I, I actually applaud him. And, you know, I know he's going to probably keep the money or the Indianapolis Colts are going to let him. But he was more than willing to volunteer that money to go back to Indianapolis. You know, it wasn't about the money for him. So it, part of me actually applauded this guy and appreciated the fact that he wasn't going to try and kill himself for the dollar sign, so to speak. But that also, you know, you've got to understand, too, that he did make an absolute ton of money. He's a smart guy, probably invested well, hopefully. But uh, I, I applaud him in the sense that he said, you know what? My wife and kids mean more to me than this small window of NFL paychecks and I'm going to I'm going to take the loss I'm going to go home and I'm going to I'm going to be a father to my kids moving forward and who's to know who's to say that he's not going to have a job within football moving forward because he's a smart dude played hard understands the game and probably still wants to be in it the body just wouldn't let him all those are uh, are valid points I I think it's really interesting to see a guy like that so um, this is not a comparison to Pat Tillman, but Pat Tillman, who walked away from you know three-year contract and he was going to make millions, um, he's from my uh, hometown or my area. I know uh, we have a lot of friends in common, and you know he was just a consistent character guy. I, I would say the same. You know, being in the Bay Area when uh, Andrew Luck was up there at Stanford, uh, like I said, I'm not trying to draw a parallel from walking away just you know and, and trying to send the money back, but there. There is an applaud for Pat Tillman, and then Andrew Luck is getting harangued and harassed. Uh, another guy I can remember from the Bay Area, I'm a Bay Area guy, as you know, uh, was Chris Borland, who uh, was Rookie of the Year in the NFL maybe three or four years ago, a Wisconsin linebacker. And the studies from the CT came out in the offseason, and he retired. He basically said, you know, I don't want to do this. And he got a lot of grief as well from the NFL community saying, hey, look, you're young. You know, this is fantastic that you are a, such a good player. But uh, he just said for his family and his health, he wanted to walk away then, and he got a little heat for that. So it's interesting to me to see the uh, dichotomy or the, the disparity in Pat Tillman going to fight for his country and what a fantastic thing he's doing. And these guys are giving this up, although a lot of people would like to be in their shoes for their health and well-being of their wife and family and their children and you know probably children that they're going to have in the future. I think Chris Borland was 23 or 24 when he walked away. So... Like I said, we could probably dance around this all day and have kind of everybody chime in with, you know, why he did it, why he didn't do it, why he's not sticking with it. I, I just, from the press conference, looking at his face, 
he looked like he was done. So I, I think you're right. Uh, with Stanford education, his dad's involved in athletics. I don't see why he wouldn't, you know, stick around the game. Now, I don't know if he wants to be involved in the intricacies. It's an it's another, you know, like taking on a GM job would not probably be ideal. It was shocking, but in his face, you could see why he was doing it or you could see that he was ready to do it. Yeah, taking on the the idea of a GM maybe a couple of years down the road, but also it's a sacrifice in time too to be able to do those things around sports. Even for myself being a broadcaster now, I've got to understand the sacrifice that my family takes in allowing me to go out and do these things. The Texans are looking for a GM. I know that's great news. I could probably use a guy like him, but how about the other fact you probably don't know this, but there might be some people in Houston who are actually applauding the fact that, that uh, Andrew Luck is retiring because that was the one guy that they could not get through to get to the get through the playoffs or get into the playoffs. I know that he's been a bane in the existence of the Houston Texans. So being in the in the, you know the NFC South, I think it is you know that's really going to create a new dynamic with them, and maybe they will be a little bit uh, more relaxed in having to face the Indianapolis Colts. But who knows? They still have a tremendous amount of athletes, but I want to go back to something that you hit on in your first comment. Indianapolis fans are pissed. They are upset. And you don't want to know why they're upset? Because the entire franchise was Andrew Luck. Whenever they went to the bars or whenever they traveled to watch the Indianapolis Colts on the road and they were at a tailgate party, they said, oh, but Andrew Luck is going to do this. They can't say that anymore. I mean, you know, unfortunately, T.Y. Hilton is a very good wide receiver, but a lot of it was on the quarterback, Andrew Luck, getting him the ball. But Andrew Luck was the face of the franchise. He was their only hope, and now you just pulled the plug on their hope. So I hope that Indianapolis realizes that maybe the vitriol and some of the anger is based in the fact that they lost their best player, but maybe should be directed a little more to Indianapolis management, understanding that they put all their eggs in one basket with the quarterback and maybe could have gotten some more complimentary players to have an overall good team instead of losing your team when you lose one guy. Absolutely. And I think that's the job of the GM, as you said, to uh, kind of shake it up. I, I saw a comment today, right? So the Indianapolis Colts in the last 25 years, their quarterback has been either Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck. 25 years. They have two Super Bowl what? appearances. Oh, my gosh. Two Super Bowl appearances and one championship. In 25 years, you have basically arguably two top five quarterbacks of all time. I mean, Andrew wow. Luck was not getting a chance. You guys in Houston keep talking about the offensive line. I mean, Deshaun Watson has a ton of potential, but if they're not going to protect him, I mean – the quarterback, I hate to say it because we've talked about baseball, like what's harder, like running an offense or hitting a baseball, a round ball with a round bat and all. I mean, being a quarterback is the CEO of the team. You got to protect that guy and you see a difference. I mean, when Andrew Luck's out there, they're 50 and 30 with nobody wow. else, like you said, nobody else. But 25 years of Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, and they've got two Super Bowl appearances and one championship. And I think, like you said, they're selling the city short. And so booing Andrew Luck, I think, is kind of misguided, uh, misguided energy, right? Like we should be booing Ursay or the GM and we, we got to get this stuff dialed in because, I mean, I think Jacoby Brissett, third round pick of the Patriots, might be able to do some things with them. But if he's not quite as good as Andrew Luck and they don't have an offensive line and they don't have a running game and they don't have a defense, they're in big trouble and they got to go back to the drawing board. They're going to do the tanks. They're going to do the tanking theory, right? Let's tank for two <laughs> years and then yeah. start drafting correctly. 
Yeah, that's that's a great call. Who knows? Maybe. But I'm, I'm with you in the sense that now a lot of it's going to be put on the GM. It's going to be put on the coaching staff to be able to develop some offense to get those guys going a little bit. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And uh, it, I don't know. You and I, we had our fantasy football draft last night and we, we took a flyer on T.Y. Hilton. I, I'm He's dedicating a season to Andrew Luck. So we're going to we're going to find out really quickly whether we made the right decision or not. And I will I'm just going to throw this in there. Jeff and I are running a fantasy football team together, and it was the first time, you know, co-GMs had to draft. I usually draft by myself. And the, our key, our mantra was, let's have an unemotional draft. And, uh, of course, being ex-ball players, we had an unemotional draft. And I think a couple things. One is that means we're in, on the right path to success in our fantasy football league. But I think what that really means is that you would make a good gambler, Blummer. Well, we may have to do some things during the podcast throughout the course of it. Maybe do, you know, just kind of announce our bets and, you know, with some Monopoly money and just kind of have some fun with it and see how we would actually do to create a little bit of a track record. And then we can move on with it. And you're right. Uh, you know, we did have our fantasy football draft and a lot of it's on Jerry Jones right now down up in Dallas because we need him to sign Ezekiel Elliott. Just truth be told, our first pick, we had the fourth pick overall. And, you know, with uh, Saquon Barkley going, uh, McCaffrey going, um, gosh, Kamara, who was the other? Alvin Kamara. Uh, yeah. Kamara went, and then we, uh, we chose Ezekiel Elliott because we feel that Jerry Jones understands how good the Cowboys can be with Ezekiel Elliott, so they need to sign Zeke. So this, one, this podcast goes out to Jerry Jones, at least this portion of it goes out to Jerry Jones. Go ahead and sign that dude. Give him some cash, man. It won't slow him down when he's on the field, when he's got all that flow in his back pocket running around. But uh, get him on the field. And it actually brings up a really good point in the sense that, you know, fans, I believe, now look at football players not as teams but more as chess pieces. And it's unfortunate for the people who drafted Andrew Luck before he announced his retirement. But how much pressure are on football players to perform, not just for their teams, but for their fantasy teams? And do you think that's fair? You know, it's funny you brought that up. I was going to transition right to that. Um, we had that in our notes. I was thinking, I've, I've always said, and Andrew Luck's a great example, I, I think kind of like this podcast. We're doing this for fun, right? We're not doing this for sponsorship or t-shirts, but that stuff's coming because of the demand. I think Andrew Luck was the ultimate competitor, always wanted to play quarterback and was living his dream. The fact that he got paid well to do it is a byproduct of that. And I think kind of the same thing. You were mentioning that the fans in Indianapolis are booing. They talk about how much money he makes and they're talking about how it's going to you know, screw their fantasy football team. You know, as a player, I, I never took the mound. Well, I never had the opportunity to be on anybody's uh, fantasy baseball team, but I never took the mound thinking about the fans. I mean, I, that may sound selfish, but I took the mound thinking like, I want to be the best at this. I want to work at my craft and I want to beat the other guy. And ultimately, if you get paid to do what you were kind of chosen to do, born to do or called to do, then that's the ultimate goal for the for the player. So I don't think you know, Andrew Luck is the example, right, that we're talking about. I don't think for one second he thinks about, I'm going to screw the fantasy world and I have a lot of pressure on me because of the fantasy teams. I don't think Tom Brady thinks about that. You've been around a lot more high-level baseball players than I have. Most of those guys are just really ultimately competitive. There are a few guys, I would say, that grew up maybe poor and they want to buy their mom a house. And, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and, you know, diverse cultures. But I would say most people are not playing for the money they're playing maybe 
for some fame or accolades, but mostly uh, to be the best at, at their craft and to beat the other guy. If you're a professional athlete, your first goal is to go out there and win. Um, I, you know, a byproduct of the individual doing well is hopefully helping your team win. And to your point about the whole fantasy baseball, fantasy football, whatever league that you're in, obviously there's more money and more emphasis on the fantasy football industry. But there is a fantasy baseball league. And the funny part was, is, you know, as a player on a team, if you went three for four, four for four, drove in six RBIs like we're seeing guys do now, it was kind of tongue in cheek as you're coming back in, high fiving guys in your, in your dugout. You're like, dude, my fantasy points are going up. And everybody would get a chuckle out of it because you knew that wasn't the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to go out there and win. You know, number one, the second one is you got to do well enough to stay in the league. And then third, if you do well enough and stay in the league and win ball games, you're going to get a paycheck. So obviously, you got to worry about your career. But uh, I would say way down on that list is being a a quality fantasy pickup. Yeah, and and not to diminish the fantasy part, I think this was kind of more of your question. I just took it back to w- what the player you know has on their shoulders because if you start focusing on you know grandma's fantasy team, then you're probably going to have. Uh, you know, scrambled eggs in your head. You need to be focused and you need to be paying attention to that. Now, from from a fan's perspective, for sure, I grew up, My I was a Cowboys fan and my dad was a Niners fan and that catch, you know, the Dwight Clark catch, but I was a big fan of the Cowboys when they had Tony Dorsett and Roger Staubach and all those guys. And then they went through some lean years when they drafted Troy Aikman first overall. He, they were 1-15, in 15, then they got Emmett Smith and Aikman and Irvin. And so I have the whole history of the Cowboys. That dynamic has changed. I used to follow them. I'm kind of less of a Cowboy fan. I'm actually hoping, to your point, that they sign Zeke Elliott and I can root for the Cowboys again. But yeah, we're focused on our guys now. You know, I want T.Y. Hilton to have a great year and you want Zeke Elliott to have a great year. And that is a definite shift in, you know, just 10, 15 years ago, what we rooted for and who we rooted for. No, I completely agree. There has been a shift. And to be honest, you know, I try and watch locally the Houston Texans. Obviously, I have an affinity for. The well, now the Los Angeles Chargers. I almost called them the San Diego Chargers. You know, I, you know, truth be told, I was a season ticket holder down there, and then they moved to LA. And I just part of me was extremely disappointed because I, I, I love the fact that they were in San Diego and I got to be around them and and watch them play. But now that they're in LA, I understand it's a money grab. I do understand the business of it, but. At the same time, it doesn't mean I can't be upset with Dean Spanos. I'm not upset with the players. The players have to follow the game wherever it goes. Uh, so I am trying to stay local. But like you said, after that draft we had last night, I'm going to be paying attention to the Dallas Cowboys a little more this season. I'm going to be paying attention to a lot more games around the league. But it is because of the fantasy players. So it's cool that the players bring some of that team aspect to the individual who's out there playing fantasy football. But at the same time, it does kind of peel away from the regional sports loyalist attitude a little bit. For sure. You got so upset at the San Diego Chargers, you moved to Houston. I mean, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I gave up. Dean Spanos doesn't know what he did. Like, you're living in San Clemente, San Diego area. And you're like, hey, I can go to these games. They moved to L.A. and you said, forget it. I'm moving to Houston, folks. Yeah, I'd rather deal with Houston traffic than L.A. traffic any day of the week. Um, we're going to spin things up. That's it for uh, Andrew Luck. I'm going to give you a little bit of a parting comment if you want to close up this Andrew Luck situation because – Number one, Doug Gottlieb, I'm not even giving the time of day because that was one of the worst takes I've ever seen in my life, and I absolutely applaud the heck, and I hate to bring it up because it's another Dallas Cowboy, but Troy Aikman, man, if, if there was the, the next emoji they make for me has to be an emoji with the little hat on it, and then he's got to be able to you know show the hat tip because the hat tip 
right there for Troy Aikman for just absolutely blowing up Doug Gottlieb. I understand that, you know, shock jocks and shock and awe, like Tuttle said earlier, sells podcasts, it sells radio shows, it puts money in your pocket if you want to be one of those guys. I'm not, and I thought that was an idiotic take. So goodbye, Doug Gottlieb. That's all I'm going to give on him. But there was also an offensive lineman, I think, for his name is Overton is his last name. I can't remember. I think he's with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not sure. But he offered to buy all of the season tickets from the Indianapolis Colts season ticket holders who want a refund. And the reason he wants to do that, he wants to take he wants to buy those tickets. And I believe it's called Riley's House, the charity, and give them to the charity that Andrew Luck spent so much time with. So I applaud him. Don't applaud Doug Gottlieb. That's all I've got on the Andrew Luck situation. Hopefully Indianapolis can move on a little bit and be thankful that they had a guy like Andrew Luck for as long as they did. Yeah, awesome. I totally agree with you. Um, Doug Gottlieb tried to backpedal and he had a little, well, you know, I'm snarky and sarcastic and part of this and part of that. And it, it just fell on deaf ears. Um, I did mention you moved to Houston to get away from the uh, – LA Chargers. Um, the the topic we wanted to talk about next was we were talking about uh, JV barring the reporter from the clubhouse. And I think initially we didn't have enough information on it, but I want to lead you into that since you kind of have uh, your boots on the ground there in Houston and what, what you discovered or what your take is on that. And then we can move forward from there. Man, tell you're doing a great job. We are going to transition. This will be the last topic of this podcast is talking about the Justin Verlander situation. And to try and give you just a brief synopsis is obviously Justin played for the Detroit Tigers for about 13 years, had a relationship with the Detroit media, but somewhere in in the mix of that, he ran into, I know his last name is Fennec. I can't remember his first name, but for the Detroit Free Press. And obviously, a relationship has developed because Justin Verlander is the ace of the staff. You need to get pre-post comments from Verlander on a, you know, on a pitching daily basis. And somewhere along the line, he took a private conversation, made it public. Justin Verlander, you know, kind of said, hey, you know, don't do that kind of thing. It happened again. Justin Verlander had enough, and that's where the trust was broken. And it is trust between the the reporter and the player, and you need and both need to understand that. Uh, it's funny now being on the media side where I will actually preface conversations with guys to the point where I will say, "I am not going to talk about this on air. This is off the record." I will have you know certain phrases where I want these guys to know that I will not use it on air, and. I have to stay to it. I have to stick to the point that he doesn't want me to use this. It's knowledge. We're talking as, as friends, as coworkers, if you want to take it to that extent. And I understand now being on the media side that I cannot use that. And I will not use that because I want to be able to have that conversation again. I want to extend that relationship and build that trust. So that trust was broken between Justin Verlander and Fennec, who was the uh, Detroit Free Press writer. Fast forward to this season, Justin Verlander is a, an Astro, Tigers come into town, obviously the beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, Fennec, is going to be in town, and early in the series, Verlander, knowing he was going to pitch in the series, said, I'm not going to do a media scrum if Fennec is in it. Fennec was in the scrum, which he has every right to be, Verlander left that scrum. Now, Verlander went to each reporter individually and did one-on-one -on -one interviews, from what I understand. So he reached out and said, hey, I don't want this guy to ruin it for everybody else. He made the adjustment. It comes to the day where Justin Verlander pitches, pitches extremely well. The post game, obviously, it's been out there where he says, I don't want this guy in the media scrum. If he comes into the media scrum, I'm not going to talk. 
the Astros took it upon themselves to keep Fennec out. Reporters come in and, and, you know, obviously chaos ensues because the CBA says that every reporter has a right to be in there, which I do agree with. Obviously, we live in a free country where you've got to be able to report and you've got to be able to speak. But uh, we'll get into a little bit on, you know, who did what or what went wrong. But Tuttle, initial reactions to the Verlander situation from what you saw and what you've read? Yeah, so Anthony Fennick is his name. And, and it is important, like you said. I, I think you and I agree on that. The free the freedom of speech is, you know, obviously inherent to all of us. Um, and my initial thought was exactly what you just kind of touched on, which is interesting, is Justin didn't actually bar the guy from the locker room, which is what I was kind of – that was what I thought of in my head, right? He's a superstar. He pitched a great game. He doesn't want the guy in the, uh, you called it the scrum. I've never even heard that term. How about that? I'm learning stuff here. He doesn't want him in the media scrum. So he says, look, I'll talk to you guys individually. And the next day, same thing. Talk to you guys individually before he pitched. Then when he pitched, he said, I'm not going to speak if that guy comes in here. So, you know, the PR or the, you know, I always call him the SID, right? The sports information director. But you guys have <laughs> yeah, PR guys yeah. and, and the pros, right? So anyway, but that that those are the folks that kept the guy out. We can get into that, right? The nitty gritty of, I mean, Justin didn't actually bar the reporter from the clubhouse. That was a choice that the Houston Astros made on their property to say, look, if we want Justin to speak, let's, uh, let's you know, keep this guy out. Yeah, you're right. I, you know, to Tuttle's point, it, the Astros took it upon, from my understanding, took it upon themselves to protect Justin Verlander. Yeah. Um, and here's a question for you. I think I know the answer, but when you're talking off the record, we've heard about this from like court cases. I know it, you know, just reading articles and authors when somebody's writing a book, um, ball four comes to mind. Jim Booten died recently, but he got a lot of heat for kind of using real names. And, you know, when Mickey Mantle used to come in hungover, you know, and it, it upset a lot of people, right? Even though everybody kind of knew it, it was one of those things that what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse and you have to be super careful about that. But now you going from being a player to um, being, you know, not on the media side, but certainly having an in with a lot of the players, even some of the coaches, the managers possibly. Um, what, like I said, I think I know the answer, but what is the best way to articulate something like that? Like, oh, you know, I hear in the clubhouse this, or I hear from some sources, or what's the best way to protect the anonymity? Because if somebody knows you're tight with, like Brad Osmus, for example, I'm just going to throw it under the butt, right? You know, throw him out there. I don't know if that's true, but you're tight with Brad Osmus. You go into Anaheim, you get some information about, you know, some of the players or Mike Trout behind the scenes, and then you come out and say, hey, you know, I got it from a valid source that blah, 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 blah. I mean, I don't know if that's good enough, right? Because if somebody specifically knows that you're, you know, you and Brad were roommates at one point or, you know, you were boys in the minor leagues or the big leagues, I mean, something like that is very, it's dicey anyway, but you have to be, it's a skill on you to, uh, to kind of be able to disseminate that information in, in, a, in a good way where you're not going to ruin the source, like you said, or ruin the, the pipeline of information, which is inherent in this business. Yeah. And you know what I've learned in, in just in talking to professional broadcasters, reporters, writers, whatever you want to call them, media, professional media, we'll just say, just to give it a blanket uh, type concept is own it. You know, if, if I get information that I feel is necessary to get out there, I don't put a player's name to it. I don't put a coach's name to it. I put my name on it. So I own it. And if it blows up, it blows up on me. It doesn't blow up on anybody else. Or if somebody has a question about it, they come to me and ask me about it. But, uh, you know, it, 
and luckily I've never been in a position to have too much information that could really be, you know, you know, detrimental to a situation or a player or an organization. You know, I get bits and pieces of information there and I don't go looking for it either. You know, I want to keep, I love my job. I want to keep my job and I love being able to be down there around the, you know, the batting uh, cage and talking to these guys. So, you know, that's where my motivation is not to get these guys upset or lose that trust because I know I want to be able to create that culture and that relationship. But if I ever get anything that I feel is necessary, say, you know, say I know, like you said about, well, just take an opposing manager. Say I know an opposing manager pretty well. And they come in after a tough series, they've abused their bullpen. And I ask, hey, is your closer available? And he goes, no, he's going to be down today. I'm not going to tell anybody he's down today because obviously there's some strategic you know, aspect to that that they don't want to give away. So they'll tell me, but I can go to my notes. I can go to the internet and, and look up how many times, you know, Craig Kimbrell is, just to give an example, Kimbrell is pitched. And I can, I can form a quote unquote assumption and say, hey, you know, I, it'll be interesting today at the end of the game to see how the so-and-sos close out this game because, you know, so-and-so has thrown in the last two uh, two ball games and he's thrown 55 pitches. So his arm's probably going to be a little bit tired and may not be available tonight. So we get to the latter part of the game. He doesn't come in. And I go, hey, look at me. I'm a genius, you know. And so we kind of move on from that. But that's how you got to try and use some of that in a vague kind of way. No, I like it. Thanks. for That wasn't really the answer I expected, but that's that's a good way to put it. I mean, you and I have talked about people we have in common uh, in baseball, people we know. I mean, managers. I know, you know, three or four managers in the big leagues that I played with, which is hilarious, you know, because that just means they're old and they haven't gotten out of baseball yet. No, I'm kidding. But uh, but yeah, like the relationship has changed uh, being a player in the clubhouse with these guys to now being a manager who has to kind of, you know, almost it's a form of being a politician, as you said. To the public, you're like a politician because you have to say the right things and do the right things in the clubhouse. You got to be one of the guys. And to your point, Kimbrel may come up to you. And obviously, Kimbrel is just the figurehead that we're using for this example. But Kimbrel may say, I can go, Skip. I've, I know I've thrown three days in a row, but I struggled the first day. I've got the last two. Clo- you know, I closed out the last two. I'm, I can go. And the manager has to have that heart to heart with him. Say, look, I, you know, if I can avoid using you, you know, I'll I'll give it up this game because we need you to be ready for the postseason or whatever it is. And so those conversations should be in the clubhouse and should remain in the clubhouse. But I really appreciate you uh, sharing some insight on that. So let's get back to the Verlander thing then. Like, what's your opinion on it now? I mean, I, I you said to me off air a couple times ago, and we've talked about this, like the best way to handle it now that you're out of the game and I mean, do you think JV handled it well? And if, if we put it on the Astros, they're the ones that barred the guy from the clubhouse, not Justin. Maybe he's not as fault as we said, because there was a lot of blowback, especially on social media, like, hey, this is a free country and what a jerk he is. And people always don't bring up the money. You know, this is just a lowly reporter from the Detroit Free Press. And Verlander makes, you know, $100 million. And he's like, you know, stomping on the little guy. And I don't think either of those are the truth, right? The truth is always somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And this is definitely one of those places where it is going to be in the middle. Uh, Could everybody have handled it better? Absolutely. You know, I understand where Justin Verlander is coming from, because if that trust is broken and you have a a, a riff with somebody, you're not going to want to talk to them. And there's been situations where a reporter has come in. I mean, we've all heard the interviews where you get the yes. No, no, yes. Thinking about next week, next start. You know, that's how, that's one way it could have been handled where he could have just absolutely just been 
and asked about it and just said, I'm going to give you one word answers because he's in there and because he's worried about how his words are going to be taken out of context. The other situation could have been where he just gave in. And but I don't think that's a situation where he wanted to give in. I think he wanted to send the message that this guy burned a bridge and he needs to deal with the consequences of it. The Astros maybe overreacted a little bit and protected the player where Justin Verlander is going to be hopefully appreciative of the Astros for stepping in in that situation. And I know that the Astros are going to pay the consequences, whether it come from the league or from uh, it's probably just going to come from the league. So they'll deal with that and just try to move on. How about on the other side? Part of me, and you know, there was an article in The Athletic. I know it's a pay website, but I believe it was Brittany Garoli who wrote the article who was in a similar situation. And I kind of, this is kind of my mentality too. If I've got a problem with somebody and maybe it's blown out of proportion or maybe it's not, I would love, I'd like to have the conversation. I want you to understand why I'm upset with you. I want you to understand the entire picture and I want you to understand why I'm acting the way I'm acting. So I like that she wrote in her article where they actually had a one-on-one with the player to try and iron out the issues so that they could understand the situation a little bit better and hopefully, you know, mend the fence, so to speak, to be able to have a professional uh, relationship. May not be a personal relationship, but a professional relationship so they can do the interview. But the other thing on, you know, that probably would have been the better route and hopefully everybody learns from this. But at the same time, you know, Fennec has a little bit of a reputation of being a pot stirrer and he's looking for, you know, some notoriety because we know that Doug Gottlieb, negative press is no, there's no such thing. It's all going to be, it's going to create action. It's going to create followers. It's going to create uh, clicks. But Fennec for me, you know, was he wrong in understanding the situation and forcing himself into the situation? Because if I'm another writer and I'm trying to write my story because I've handled myself professionally and this jack wagon's going to come in and screw me out of a good interview, am I upset at Major League Baseball? Am I upset at the Astros or am I upset at the writers? So there's a lot of different pieces in this thing. Yeah, I like that. I mean, we're creating more questions than answers. <laughs> what we do. (laughs) That's right. But no, but I agree with you a lot. I mean, my wife and I actually may disagree on this um, because communication, like I said, with with friendships and relationships and marriages and other serious relationships, communication seems to work immensely. You know, we've always heard that old saying about making assumptions or when you assume, right, you make an ass out of you and me. And maybe it's not up to JV to say, hey, you know, hey, buddy, let me reach out to you and call you. Because as you said, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean everybody like goes away like rosy and happy, like, oh, oh, oh." but they can agree to disagree. Right. So JV says, look, this is what you did to break the relationship up from my perspective. And you may or may not like that or disagree with it. But I want to let you know that that's what upset me. And so if you can not do that again, or if you can, you know, maybe there is a way, like you said, to mend the fences, or maybe they agree that, hey, you know what? We broke the trust. I don't feel like building that trust back up. You're a guy who, you know, you were in my old town in Detroit, and now I'm in Houston now. We don't need to mend those fences. I want to let you know why I feel the way I do. You can let me know why you feel the way you do, and maybe you're going to force yourself in there. But yeah, you're going to get one word answers from me. But the reason you're going to get one, one word answers is because of this, this, and this. And that's it. It does, They don't have to hug it out either. That's the other thing that could just be a solution. I think we discussed this prior, the communication and understanding from, I don't know, from all sides, isn't that important? Like JV's not going to reach out via cell phone and say, hey, guy, this is how it's going to go. They could agree to disagree. And then, as you said, then if Fennec continues to force his way in there or if he continues to be 
a thorn in everybody's side, at least, you know, at least they took the extra step to say, look, we're going to agree to disagree here. Yeah. And it's amazing in this day and age, this story will be, it'll probably be on the back burner for the next month and a half until the Astros get into the playoffs. And then it might pop up again because, you know, all of a sudden the Detroit free press will probably show up again and follow him through the playoffs because he was an ex tiger. He's obviously got name equity in the city and in major league baseball. And, there's a lightning bolt surrounding him. So maybe they want to st- tear that scab off a little bit later. But hopefully by then they'll be able to figure out the situation. The Astros will do a better job. Major League Baseball will do a better job. And obviously Justin Verlander is going to do a better job too because that's just kind of the, the kind of the guy he is. But he's also a high-profile guy. That's probably something that needs to be talked about a little bit too. I don't know if it now is the time, but he, he and his wife are obviously in the public eye quite a bit. So if you're that available being a public figure and you carry that much of a viewership or a follower, you know, a following, you're going to have that target on your back. So that may have a little bit to do with it too, because I guarantee you if Fennec was had this issue with a guy like Brad Peacock, it, it, nobody's going to care. I mean, nothing against Brad Peacock, but Brad Peacock's such a low key guy and, you know, not that much of a lightning rod in the media that everybody would be like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you bothering this guy? Just leave him alone. Let's get on with our jobs. But because it's Justin Verlander, it's also exaggerated. Absolutely. I mean, that's, a, that's an a- outstanding point. Did you want to talk about uh, players' weekend uniforms? I did not. Okay. I did not. That's how much you liked them. I didn't like them, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. Somebody on Twitter said George Jorge was the only one that looked good in that uniform. I don't know if that's true, but that's probably because he's 6'3, like 220. I don't know. Yeah. And he's built like an Adonis. So we'll leave that to the side. That's going to do it for this episode of Bleacher Blums. Maybe we get into it a little bit more later on when we've got more time or we're trying to kill time. But the Players Weekend unis were interesting. There were plenty of views on it. Um, I think Tuttle and I are kind of in the same boat where the black and white was a little extreme and probably didn't have to go there. But in ending this podcast, I want to just I don't want to remind everybody, but it's kind of in that never forget type scenario where two years ago at around this time, Hurricane Harvey showed up and it left a lot of pain and devastation around the city. And I just want to let everybody know that we are thinking about you. I know there's still some recovering from that. It was absolutely devastating for the city. But on a positive note, I want to remind everybody that it really galvanized a city and a ball club and really, I really feel had an effect on that team moving forward in the playoffs. It gave them something to play for. And they eventually ended up winning the World Series in 2017. The Astros did. Um, But just a, a little bit of a remembrance in that situation and let everybody know out there that we're we're, we're praying for you. We're hoping that you're able to get back to everyday life and really hope that that never happens again. But in order to get through some of those tragedies, you need to thank those first responders that showed up. Uh, Team Rubicon is a great group that came out and helped everybody. Uh, you know, there was the Cajun Navy that came out with their, uh, you know, their airboats and picked everybody up. So there were so a select few who put themselves in the in the way of harm and helped everybody out. So to all of those first responders, to the military and everybody, we obviously think a lot about you, but even more so today in remembrance of that devastating hurricane that hit the city of Houston two years ago uh, around this time. Um, if you're still feeling the effects of Hurricane Harvey, obviously we're, uh, we're praying for you and we want you to know that we're thinking about you. And um, like I said, I think that's going to come to the end of this uh, this short podcast at 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah, this abbreviated version of Bleacher Blums is over. And of course, it wouldn't be over unless we told you to get after it. And most of all, believe it.
It filters through 